Well, I invite you to join me again in Hebrews 4, if you're not there already. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, even this morning as we gather as your church here in Altoona, Iowa, we gather with confidence. We gather rejoicing because before the throne of God above, even as we have just confessed in song, we have a strong and perfect plea. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, it is in that hope that we rejoice this morning. It is that hope that gives us confidence. It is in that hope that we know that our prayers are heard. We know that the word of God is at work. We know that your purposes will be accomplished in us and in the world. That all of your promises will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it's to that hope that we cling and that we claim this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we open the word of God this morning, that you would be honored in all that is said and done. I pray that your spirit would take the word and that you would accomplish your purpose in each and every one of us. That you would give us ears to hear and then to go and to do. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give me boldness this morning to proclaim the word of God with clarity, to speak with authority, that you may be honored. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ alone. Amen. I'm going to open with an illustration that I used not too many weeks ago, so you might recognize it. Um, but chances are you've probably already forgotten it, so you won't recognize it. Um, but I remember as a young man, my family took a trip to the North Carolina mountains to go whitewater rafting. And I remember we got there, it was about a two-hour drive, we drove up through the mountains and we got there and I was, I was excited up until we got to the point when our guide was going through all uh, that we were going to have to do. He was explaining everything to us and, and he kind of casually mentioned while he was doing this that, oh, so, just so you know, there is a chance that you die, right? This is, this is, we're doing something that there's a chance where you could fall out, you could die, he mentioned it in passing, but that's what caught my attention. I was young. I was probably younger than 12, but it scared me to death. And I remember I, I told my parents, I don't want to do this. I'll just wait in the car while you guys go and do it. I don't want to take that risk. It's not worth it. And my parents tried to convince me. They tried to say, it's, it's, he, he's just... He has to mention it, but it's not real. I mean, we're not, doing any, we're not doing some crazy rapids. These are just small North Carolina mountain rapids. There's nothing to worry about. But they couldn't calm me down. I remember finally the guide came over and he sat down and he talked to me. And he walked me through it. And he explained it to me. Yes, it's possible. 
just as it's possible that you might have died on the way up here in the car. But I know this river. I've done this river a million times. I know every inch of this river. I've done rivers much bigger than this, and I've never lost anybody. I know what I am doing. Trust me. And I did. I was convinced. It was the experience and the knowledge of our guide that ultimately gave me the confidence to get in that raft. So you come to Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. We're going to see similarly that it is the identity and the experience and the knowledge of our Savior that gives us confidence as believers. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Who he is, where he is, and what he has done for us. And so we're going to see that as we look at these three verses, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 this morning, we'll see your powerful high priest, your understanding high priest, and your empowering high priest. The first thing we see this morning in verse 14 is your powerful high priest. Your powerful high priest. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Those first two words, seeing then, capture our attention. Seeing then, that implies that there's something before that's important for us to see. In fact, these three verses are some of the most comforting verses in the whole Bible, and they serve as kind of a transition in the book. The author here is moving his argument forward. So there's a couple of connections here. The immediate context, as we saw last week in the beginning of Hebrews 4, is this conversation about God's rest. The urgency to enter God's rest. As we talked last week, that, that rest is, is all of God's promises in Christ. God will fulfill all of his promises. Everything that he has said, he will do. Ultimately, that rest is communion with him in his presence. As we saw at the end of last week, our hope of entering that rest we have the word of God in the present that is at work in us. The word of God that is uh, accurate, that is powerful, that is working. Run to the word of God. As we come this week to verses 14 to 16, there's still a connection. Not only do we have the word of God, but we have a great high priest. Here on earth, we have the word of God at work in us. And in heaven, we have a high priest pleading for us. We have hope of entering that rest. And yet there's a greater context to this as well. The immediate context is that conversation of God's rest, but the greater, the greater context is the general context of the book, moving this conversation forward that Jesus is better. We've seen that he's better than the prophets. We've seen that he's better than the angels. We've seen that he's better than Moses. We've seen last week that he's better than Joshua. He gives a better rest than Joshua. And as we move into Hebrews, 14, or Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, and then uh, moving forward, we see that he's not only better than Moses and Joshua and the angels and the prophets, he's better than Aaron. He's a better priest. So he's moving the conversation forward in that way. So seeing then, seeing that this rest is available, seeing that Jesus is, is, is better, 
Everything that we have said up until this point, seeing that and agreeing to that, recognize then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. See, once a year in Israel, the high priest would pass beyond the curtain into the Holy of Holies. He alone had access. He was the only one who could go beyond that point. He would pass into the Holy of Holies, God's dwelling place on earth with his people. As he went into the presence of God, he would bring those offerings, going for the people. Jesus has not just passed beyond the curtain, he has passed through the heavens. He has passed not just through the earthly dwelling place of God, but the heavenly dwelling place of God. He has not go once a year, he is always in his presence. Your high priest has passed through the heavens and is in the presence of God himself. In fact, not only is your high priest in the presence of God, your high priest is Jesus, the Son of God. Not just is he in his presence, he is his Son. And he demands the attention of God. He demands his attention because he is his son. So let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast. Our confession is what we have believed in Jesus Christ, believing that he is the son of God who died on the cross for my sins. Hold fast to that. Cling to that. See, the immediate audience that this letter here to the Hebrews is written to, their temptation is under persecution to run back to Judaism. To run back to to that system. To run back to the law. The author of Hebrews is pleading with them, cling to your confession. Hold fast. Don't run back. See who your high priest is and cling to that. Because you have a high priest who's passed through the heavens. Many of you know that I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. Pretty much on the campus of Bob Jones University. Many of my memories as a young man are on that campus. We would eat Thanksgiving dinner on that campus. Christmas lunch on that campus. Many memories there. And many of you are also aware that during the time when I was growing up, uh, for much of that, my grandfather was the president of the school. And I remember, like when I was in, in middle school, I'd go to the dining common where everyone ate on campus, and then as I was walking back across campus to class, between the dining common and where I went to class was the administration building. My grandpa's office was on the second floor of the administration building. You see, to to get a meeting with my grandfather at the time, most people 
had to go through the front of the building. They had to meet with someone at a desk who would contact his secretary, who would look at his schedule and set up an appointment that they could go back and have a meeting. But I had special privileges. You see, I knew that in the bottom of the building, there was a secret winding staircase that went up and came right by the entrance of my grandpa's office. I could skip all those desks. I could walk in, I could go up that staircase, and I had direct access to my grandpa anytime I wanted. And anytime I showed up, he made time for me because I was his grandson, because I demanded his attention. He wanted to listen to me. I was just a junior higher. Professors on the university level had to go through the front. They had to gain access through someone else. I had direct access. And immediate access. Brothers and sisters in Christ, your high priest is Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself. Your hope is not tied to an inexperienced man or an unapproachable angel. Your high priest who represents you before the Father is himself God the Son. And he demands the attention of the Father. He took on flesh, he died, he rose again, and he has passed through the heavens and he is seated at the right hand of God himself. He has direct access to the Father and he is your high priest. And so let the identity of your high priest give confidence to your faith. Rejoice and hold fast your confession. Hold fast your confession. There may be a time this coming week when doubt will take hold of your heart and it will shake you to the core. We've all gone through those times, have we not? But hold fast your confession. I like the way the author of Hebrews phrased that. Hold fast your confession. Remember what you've confessed and cling to that. What is it that you've confessed? It's not that, that I am good enough. I've not confessed that I am deserving. Your confession is not that you are great enough or that you are somehow merit God's attention. In fact, it's the exact opposite, is it not? Your confession is that you are a sinner not deserving of salvation at all. In fact, I am a sinner who deserves to be condemned to hell for my sins. But my confession is that Jesus, the Son of God, died for my sins and rose again victorious. My confession and your confession, the substance of your faith is in Jesus Christ, your perfect high priest who has passed through the heavens. So when doubt creeps in, 
when it threatens to take hold of your heart, when worry steals your sleep, and when the circumstances of life seem to be spiraling out of control, hold fast to that confession. Not that I am worthy, but that God is great, and that Jesus died for me. Your faith is not in your merit. Your plea is not, on the perform, uh, is not on the basis of your performance. Your hope is not in the circumstances of this life. Your confession, your hope, is in your great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who is seated at the right hand of the Father because he has passed through the heavens. Brothers and sisters, let the identity of your high priest give confidence to your faith. He has access. Immediate, full access. He is the Son of God, so hold fast your confession. You have a powerful high priest and a powerful position, so keep on trusting. Secondly, your understanding high priest. You see, not only Does your high priest have access to the Father? Your high priest understands your struggle. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. Your high priest can sympathize with your weaknesses. He understands. He has faced that temptation. And his sympathy, I think it's important for us to understand, his sympathy is not just an empty affirmation. Right? That's a big word in our day. Affirmations. I affirm you. His sympathy is not some kind of empty affirmation. I, yes, I, I know, I understand. I'm sorry. This sympathy is an active move on our behalf. I see, I understand, and I am taking action on your behalf. I see and I will take action. He understands your weaknesses, and that is so encouraging because if you are like me, I am incredibly weak. I cry out with Paul almost daily. I am the worst of sinners. What hope is there for me? My hope is not in myself. It's in Jesus Christ. He pleads for me before the Father. He understands my weakness and my struggle. And yet notice this. Those last three words. And these are key. He understands. He sympathizes because he faced those temptations, yet without sin. Yet without sin. Not only did he face them, he conquered them. This high priest understands more than you will ever understand him because he has faced not just to the level that you have faced, he has faced to the full level of temptation. And he never gave in. 
One author put it this way, what we need is not a fellow loser, but a winner. Not one who shares our defeat, but one who is able to lead us to victory. Not a sinner, but a savior. In Jesus Christ, we have not a fellow loser, but a winner. Someone who has faced temptation and who has conquered. Not just temptation, but death itself. He understands. When I was a child, I would regularly have migraine headaches. Not just once or twice a year, typically like twice a month. And they were awful. They would shut me down completely. I would lose all, I mean, I couldn't get up. I would lose all strength. It was miserable. And really, there was no medicine that would dull the pain. I would, I would try to take things, but it wouldn't do it. The only thing that would help was sleep. I remember one specific time near the beginning of third grade. It was near the beginning of the year. And I could feel a migraine coming on. You know how, how, how when you kind of, you, you get things regularly, you can kind of tell, okay, this is happening, this is coming. So early that morning, I could feel a migraine coming on. So I raised my hand and I told my teacher, I have a headache. But she dismissed my complaint and told me that I was okay. You're fine. Which, I mean, what else do you expect from a third grade teacher? I mean, how many times a day do people tell her, I don't feel good? My kids tell me that every time at bedtime, every night at bedtime. You'll be okay. It wasn't long before my suspicions became true and I had a full-fledged migraines. And I remember being absolutely miserable. I could not get my head off my desk. I was white as a ghost. I was completely miserable. And it's at that point that my teacher understood and realized that there's something, there's something really going on here. He's not making this up. Now, don't say that. I mean, I, I loved my third grade teacher. She was a great teacher. The problem wasn't that she was a bad teacher. It was simply that she didn't understand. You see, my parents had failed to tell her that I could have migraines. And she had never had migraines herself, at least not on, on that level, apparently. And so she didn't understand. She was not able to sympathize with me. She didn't understand my struggle and her inability to sympathize with my pain caused me to suffer more than necessary on that particular morning. Going forward, once she understood that, when I told her I felt a migraine, she would send me immediately to the nurse to get help, to rest. She understood at that point. Brothers and sisters, your high priest does sympathize with your weaknesses. He understands. He has been there. He has faced it. And your weaknesses do not elicit his anger or his frustration. They elicit his love. He understands. He was made weak. He faced the full fury of temptation yet without sin for you. And if you are in Christ, your confidence does not just come from who your high priest is, but from what your high priest has done for you. 
Your high priest is both Jesus, the Son of God, and Emmanuel, God with us. Your high priest has perfect understanding and full sympathy. So when you are faced with crushing temptation, remember your Savior, Jesus Christ, who understands, who sympathizes with your struggle, who has given you a way of escape. In the midst of crippling depression, your high priest understands. Run to him. Your high priest does not stand ready to condemn, but to forgive, to empower. I think we so often we view this opposite of how we should. When we're going through a dark time, when things are difficult, I just... I can't. I can't be in church this morning. I just can't take it. You need to be in church. You need to sit under the word of God. You need the fellowship of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Your high priest understands. He has been there. So hold fast to your confession. Your powerful high priest, your understanding high priest... And finally, your empowering high priest. Your high priest does not stand ready to condemn. He stands ready to forgive and to empower. Look at verse 16 with me. Your high priest is in the presence of God. Your high priest understands your struggles. So let us, therefore, because of the identity and the sympathy of my high priest, let me, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me come boldly to the throne of grace. You have access. You may remember the story from Esther when Mordecai is begging Esther to go before the king and Esther knows that she needs to go before the king. And yet she's hesitant. Why? Because people don't just go before a king Even as the queen herself, she does not have unlimited access to that king. And she could be killed on the spot. Esther herself had no access. And we know the story. She went and the king accepted her. But there was always the possibility that he wouldn't. In fact, that was, from what historians understand, that was common in the ancient times. Access to the king was not granted to just anyone. And what the author of Hebrews tells us here is that in Christ you can come boldly to the king of heaven. Not timidly. Not wondering if he will accept you with the possibility that you might be condemned. No, come boldly. In fact, what is it? His throne is called a throne of grace. You have access. You have the ear of the king himself in Christ. Come boldly, come with confidence before him. It's really a shocking verse. It's a comforting passage, but it's a shocking verse. 
The whole point is that we are unworthy, that we are guilty. Those who are guilty typically come in shame, not in confidence, not with boldness. But we are told to come with boldness. And this is not presumptuous on our part. We're coming in faith. I know that my king will accept me in Christ. I know that I have his ear. I know that he will not condemn me, but that he will show me grace. Because of the identity of my high priest and the sympathy of my high priest, I have access to come boldly to this throne. Why? Come to this throne for what purpose? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice that the focus here is not on getting what we want from God. He doesn't say come boldly to the throne of grace. So that all your wishes can be fulfilled. Come boldly to the throne of grace so that you can get what you want. So that your life can be easy. Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may attain mercy and find grace in time of need. It's not about what you want. It's about getting what you so desperately need. Mercy when you sin and grace to endure. Come asking, knowing that you have obtained. Come boldly, knowing that God has forgiven you in Christ. That he does not stand ready to condemn you, but to forgive you, to show you mercy, and to give you grace to go forward, to endure. I got my first job the summer between 8th grade and ninth grade. I worked on the campus of Bob Jones University as grounds crew, which means I did a lot of uh, raking flower beds and picking weeds and that kind of thing. I didn't make a lot of money, but for me, for the first time having my own bank account, it was a lot of money. My parents, I remember when I got my job, my dad took me to the bank, he set up an account for me, he gave me a card, and, and he, he told me how much I needed to set in savings, and, and he explained all that to me. But having my own money for the first time, my own checking account, my own freedom to spend my money. I no longer had to sheepishly go to my parents and ask for, you know, can I have $20 to do this thing, to buy these shoes? I had my own money. Every cent in that checking account was mine to spend without reservation. It was mine, and I had access to all of it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what the author of Hebrews is telling you here is that in Jesus Christ, every ounce of God's mercy and grace is yours. There is no limit. There is no end. Your high priest is the son of God who sympathizes with your weaknesses and equips you with all that you need. And this reality should motivate us to hold fast our confession to grow in the Lord, to pursue holiness without reserve or reservation.
You see, I think this is where we often fail when we come to a passage like this. We see a passage like this and we, we rejoice in all that we have in Jesus Christ. We see what we have in Christ. We see the access that we have. And we rejoice. Good. That's awesome. But then we fail to really grasp it. We fail to take hold of it and to apply it to our lives. This passage is not here merely so you can come and be encouraged this Sunday morning. Okay, good. Don't walk away this morning simply recognizing what you have in Christ. Rather, walk away this morning convinced of your continued need for Christ and resolved to rely on Christ. So that this week when temptation comes, and it will, lust, pride, depression, anger, slothfulness, whatever it may be, you know your own heart. This week when that comes, rather than resigning to sin, boldly run to the throne of grace in Christ, confessing his identity, clinging to his sympathy, and find abundant mercy and grace to help you in time of need. Your high priest understands. He sympathizes. But don't wait to run to the throne of grace until you need mercy. It's there if you need it. But run to the throne of grace and find grace to sustain and empower you. When that temptation rises up, run to the throne of grace. Lord, I am weak. I am weak and I would give in to this sin right now. I want to. But give me grace to help in this time of need. Sustain me. Give me strength. Hold fast your confession. Recognizing that my hope is not in my strength, but it's in who my high priest is. It's in Jesus Christ. Come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. It is God who saved you and it is God who will complete what he has begun in you. Run to him. Rely on him. See Jesus and stand fast in the faith. See Jesus and stand fast. As I mentioned, as you come to a passage like this so often, I think we just kind of take it, we see the truth and we rejoice. Okay, that's true, that's good. But what does that mean for me? How do I apply that to my life today? What does it mean for me this afternoon and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and going forward every single day that my high priest is in the presence of God himself that my high priest understands and that I have access to come boldly to the throne of grace, receive mercy and grace in time of need. What does that look like? It looks like not just resigning to a life of sin, knowing that the mercy is there. It looks like boldness to go to that throne, to plead for grace, to rejoice in the mercy. 
But it takes action. It's not just passive. There's action here. Come boldly. Come boldly. May we see what we have in Christ. And may we hold fast to that confession. And may we take advantage of what we have. This morning, I think there's some very specific things that it looks like. When you see a truth like we see here presented in these three verses, there's some very specific steps to be taken. The first is to confess your sin. To find mercy. Don't just overlook it. Confess it. Go to the throne of grace and find mercy. But then secondly, be resolved to live in the reality of who you are in Christ. Recognize not just the mercy that is yours to forgive, but the grace that is yours to sustain and empower you. God has given you all that you need in Jesus Christ for life and godliness, as he says in 2 Peter 1. So pursue that. Take hold of that. Cling to your confession. Confess your sin. But then be resolved to grow, to go forth in victory. Relying on your high priest who sees, who knows, and who understands.